Hello there and welcome to the second part of our music podcast with Graham Skinner discussing the merits of 1974 being rock and pop music's greatest year. The full podcast, including all songs chosen by Graham, can be heard on Spotify. Search Over Our Garden Mall. However, if you can't access Spotify, this is a copy of all the chat from the podcast. You can, of course, listen to Graham's songs on Apple Music too, just not in this podcast. Apologies for this and hopefully one day we can publish a full on Apple as we do on Spotify. Enjoy the chat and stay safe. Still sound as good as ever. That was Waterloo by ABBA. Absolutely fantastic. So we're now going to pick up on two or three artists that uh, I think Graham has suggested have a, a sort of similar feel or, or style or theme to them. So we have songs from uh, David Bowie, Roxy Music and uh, The Velvet Underground in 1974, which um, Graham will explain. So Graham, David Bowie, sweet thing. Yeah, so um, at that t- that year, that point, so that's about the time I was starting to try to get into fashion and style and stuff. Like that. But it was a huge icon, scary for me. But I wanted, I did want my hair like that. I couldn't do it. Then the, the, the big, the big song at, the time at that point was Rebel Rebel, which is off a uh, Diamond Dogs album. Um, and you know, I could have picked that, but the sort of weird thing is, I loved you know, once I got into Bowie, I went, I got deep, deep into him, and I loved every single thing that he did, right back to you know, the lower third and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, Annie Newley, sort of albums that he did with you know. Almost like musical theatre type stuff, but uh, this album Diamond Dogs, it was probably one of my, my least favourite when I started digging back. I mean, I probably it was just probably from the age of sixteen started going back. So it's only a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It wasn't ever really my favourite album or anything like that. But when he died. Uh, I went through a big phase of listening to him intensely again, and I really got into Diamond Dogs, and I love this um, sweet thing. Uh, I just, I just, I thought it would be a better, or a more interesting song to play than song, which was the hit at the time. And why do you, Bowie, why do you think going back to it? Why do you think it sort of resonates so much with you now? I don't know. I think um, because I kind of know more about what he was going through then uh, and what he was trying to do and stuff. And he was trying to, he was trying to make a musical version of the 1984 novel by George Orwell and stuff like that. Um, and I can't make much sense of that out of the record, to be honest with you. But um, I think that was more to do with like a, it was a theatrical piece, and it was one of these things—a grand idea that never quite worked out. Put out a great record, nonetheless. And it's probably—I always remember, like, you know, on that album, there's a bit in that album. There's uh, this ain't rock and roll. This is genocide, right? And we were, we were playing that in my, my pal's house. One of them. As a trick on me, said, "Oh, 
this is a this is Genesis, right? And they played that, right? And it was like the same rock and roll. This is Genesis. Because he'd said it was Genesis. This is Genesis. It's really good for Genesis, isn't it? <laughs> I was kind of sick by that when I found out, but um, I don't know. It, I just thought it'd be a more interesting song playing Rebel Rebel and now that I really love that record that I, could, I was too young to appreciate it you know when I, when I first heard it and is it that is it the sound that you kind of get now it's got this kind of dark dense kind of sound to it hasn't it that's quite unusual for them a bit yeah, like and it's not, man, the, the I mean, there's, there's, a, like there's a couple of songs on it that are like you know hits of that and I think I think maybe uh, Bowie plays most of the First so, album uh, without Mike Ronson, wasn't it? Listen, Mike Ronson. Yeah. So, um, like, it's almost Ronson, but it's not really. You know, it's so it's kind of weird. Um, I and it is quite dense. It was mm. Too, too dense for me when I, when I first mm. took it really apart from Rebel. Just a few of us. Two chords. And where would you where would you put the album now then if you had the chance to kind of reclassify his um, his catalogue? Is it is it nudged up your? Kind of got like you know ten or twelve that I can that I can interchange between my favourite. So yeah, ten or twelve. I don't know, but it's definitely in the top top ten. Easy, definitely. But I don't know. It does. They, they are. They do change. They do. It's very hard to um, to reference Bowie and stick with your opinion. I remember some while ago somebody was talking about, I think it was records in '77, and they quoted Heroes as being the the best record of the year um, that had came out. And somebody else in the conversation said it's not even the best Bowie record of the year because he released Low in '77 as well. And someone else came on and said, don't forget, he also wrote and co-produced the two Iggy albums in '77 yeah. and toured with Iggy. Um, so you just can't, can't quite comprehend that really in one year. I remember because Mark Bourne had a TV program just before he died. Yeah. And uh, like, this is this whole thing. I mean, I, I was a bit older now. I don't know, I'm like 14, 15, 14, 15. And like, after school, we'd, at this point, I'd be like, we'd be all going to each other's houses and listening to records and stuff. After school, before you had your tea, football. Sometimes you'd play like three or four aside in somewhere, or sometimes you'd just play Hidi Kid. And we went as we played, so playing Hidi Kid, we were this other guy I always played with. He never came out until after we heard the Bowie song, the Mark. And he came down and he was like, oh, I just played this new record, the Heroes, it's called. And he was like, I was like, what's it like? He's got not about swimming. I wish I could swim like a dolphin. And I was like, that's bad, isn't it? I wish I could swim like a dolphin. And he's like, through the ball. And he's like, I wish I could swim in the heads of the ball. And I was like, oh, I need to hear this now. And he had every Bowie album. He was obsessed with Bowie. So also, and he also had the Velvets. And that's how I got into the Velvets through him. I owe him a lot. Um, so, you know, we, we were all into punk rock and post-punk and stuff like that. Yeah. He was the Bowie guy 
and I basically had all the albums and all of his records and listening. That's how I got really got into Bowie. Retrospect. What I was going to say, uh, what, the only other thing I, I thought I had read up on this one, Graham, was that he was doing lots of other uh, recordings because he, he liked to do the odd cover now and again. He just done pinups, hadn't he, um, before that. And he recorded and almost added Growing Up by Bruce Springsteen onto the album. Really? Yeah. And if you remember, he ended up putting a Springsteen cover on Heroes. It's hard to be a saint in the city. Um, and he, he had a whole thing about that density again of Springsteen's lyrics and that kind of quite kind of hard sound that he had and um, but he couldn't he couldn't quite fit it in he didn't quite make it work which I thought would be amazing. It's, it's weird that you bring that up because the guy I'm talking about that stayed in to watch he was on the march yeah. he was almost as equally obsessed with Springsteen. And so, like, it's a toss-up between Bowie and Springsteen for him. And so, we, I know, so of course, I wasn't in all that as well. Yeah. Because uh, we, we, you know, I basically lived vicariously through his excellent <laughs> record. We all, we all had one of those, Graham, for sure. Absolutely. Jim Gallagher was mine. He was into Bowie and, um, oh, even 10cc. Jim gave me into 10cc when I was young. Didn't went about him. You know, so. Well, see, that's another, you know, like, Band that, that I absolutely loved when I was a wee kid, you know, because great lyrics and stuff like that, and they were fun and they were interesting. Yeah, you know, like life is a minestrone, you know, wrapped up in parmesan. It was just like death is a cold lasagna wrapped up in parmesan cheese. Clever guys, oh. very clever guys, fantastic. And connected to Bowie at the time, one way or another, was a uh, Roxy Music, and um, they had always sort of shouted out there. Their admiration for him and in many ways were, were kind of uh, stylists in the, in the Bowie uh, image. So in 74 they released Country Life and from that Graham has picked a track called The Thrill of It All. So tell us about this one Graham. Um, again, th this was, when I was like that age, what, uh, there was a guy, an older guy, and we, we thought we were a gang, you know. We didn't do anything, you know, malevolent, but we we had a wee territory, a wee bit of turf, and, like, we thought that was ours. And we, we were never in a fight or any of that crap, I'm glad to say. But this guy, he was an older guy, and we kind of, like, looked up to him. If he wanted to go somewhere, we would go. And... I remember going up to his house. He's only like a couple of years older, but that's huge, eh? And, uh, you know, he had the high waisters, the big high bloody shoes, and the Simon shorts and all that caper. And he got to, and he, he had these amazing artifacts, which to a young guy like me, they were like something else. Magic albums with a Others were like, he just looked at me, you know, like, this is like almost pornographic. Like, they were so beautiful and so like alluring as a young guy. I didn't really know much about the music. Something about that, it was really interesting. Of course, like later on, I, I got to un un rock to music, whereas musicians and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, so I, 
this is one of those ones where I got into it later rather than it being all the time for me at that age. So it's probably a couple of years there before I got into boxing. And uh, I, I mean, I, I liked the singles and stuff like that. I was, a, I was aware of that, but I, I couldn't buy these things. I, I don't know what my mum would have said if I, <laughs> if I was parading the cover of Country Life about, which is just, you know. Um, it's an iconic cover. It's, it's, it's almost Spinal Tap. <laughs> It's like yeah. it's ridiculous cover, and it, it's it's iconic. It's I'm fine with it, you know. I'm absolutely. <laughs> uh, it, it had a huge effect on me as a youngster. <laughs> I'm sure you went along. That's, but that's part of it, you know. These are that's part of the memory and the, the importance and the, of what music. Let's forget how important the album and was back then. And where do you think Roxy were at that point? So they came from that real kind of edgy art rock. Yeah, they were kind of trans transferring from the mm -hmm. the really edgy. This is probably a wee bit more like, even though it's a, it's a very it's still pretty edgy record, you know. But it hasn't got anything like an every dream home or anything like that. It hasn't got any like nine minute kind of, you know slow brooding, slow burning kind of epics. I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember any mad Andy Mackay saxophones. No. Craziness either. It's quite compact, even though the songs are quite, some of them are like good five, six minutes. But it's kind of like a, a bridge between the super slick, uh, you know, Price suits and sort of almost disco-fied roti. Uh, I think they had they, they had this one. I think they did. Siren might have been on next record, and I think then Manifesto took them into that sort of MOR disco. Siren or before that? Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, certainly about the same time. Um, but there's still, I mean, I, when I was listening to, to the, the track when you suggested it, I mean, I thought they sounded more Bowie than Bowie. You know, I it's, got mean, a, it's got an amazing Bowie feel to it, you know, kind of real real heavy noise, sort of um, Spiders from Mars type backing the drumming's like to kill for, you know. It's, yeah, it's, it's a real, it's quite a rock and roll for Roxy. But, you know, there was, Roxy could rock. It could rock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this, uh, this is a weird wee interesting career story for you. So when I started being in a band and about the rock garden, there's a guy from Europe that we knew, and I, honestly, it's killing me that I can't remember his name. But uh, he's a guy... He's, Dan McCann. He's, he's still, what was his name? Dan McCann. He became the editor of Celtic View, and he was involved in music, but I know he used to hang about the rock garden. Do you think it was him? I, but I can't, I can't hear what his name is, like you said. <coughs> Dan McCann. Dan McCann. I don't think it was that, no. no. I, I would, I'd remember that. He got us a gig out there one time. Uh, like It was either on Greener or Gurup, but to me at the same, at that point, it was like, I know it's not, but it felt like, um, I think it was probably Gurup. But um, he was pals with Kenny Hislop, 
and he told us that Kenny had an addition for Roxy, and Roxy really liked him, but he got a guy from Scotland got any <laughs> Roxy music, you know, we were like, kind of, yeah, and uh, you know, starry eyed, and they, yeah, that we knew somebody that knew something that knew Roxy music, yeah. Sorry, can I just ask then, would that have been Hipsway playing Guruk or would that have been an earlier band? No, 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 Early? that was uh, long before that, yeah, right, because I, I could, th- I could probably find out for you by working back to. Which band you were in at the time? I know Kevin McDermott Orchestra. Um, what was he called then? Delamitri and Sweat Crocodiles. Sweat Crocodiles. They played the Bay Hotel. Um, yeah, it might have been something like that. So if you, I can't remember. That sounds like that sounds like it might have been. Yeah, well, that would be Ian Hamill, and well, they'd have been booking it. I don't know. I'll, I'll ask about and see if I can get a name for you. Yeah. it's... Uh... I can sort of see the guy, you know, he used to wear a suit and stuff like that. Not George Miller? No, no. From the Stingrights, no? No, no. Okay. Definitely not. Okay. We could be here. He wasn't in a band. He wasn't in a band. That could be Dan. Right, sorry. Fuck off. We'll never know. Right. Totally forgot this song, Fight If I'm Being Honest. I hadn't heard the album for quite a long time. Because I tended to listen to the first couple albums. Yeah. When I went back, and I wasn't a big fan of the later stuff, but um, but th- this album's fantastic. Every yeah. song on it's got that kind of sound to it. It's just kind of really consistently good. Yeah. And it's like a, I, I don't know if it's the right word. Um, a, a, it's almost like a repeatable sound. The songs almost kind of join together a little bit. Yeah, there's a there's a they're all they're all on a level. If yeah. you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. a, it's almost like it's. I know there's there's that jam type one which is a bit kind of folky, kind of weird. Uh, most of it is it's like wall of rock. You know, it's really good. Yeah. I'm sure they, I'm sure they didn't, but it sounds as if they recorded three or four of them in one day. Do you know that kind of feel to it? You know, they they, they get good in chance. there and go on with it. You know, good chance because they, you know they're good musicians. I mean, yeah, like that's that's how. Oh, I like to work. I've, I've paused. Record three songs in a day or something like that, you know? Yeah. That's my favourite way of work. Absolutely. Very rewarding, I'm guessing. Just, you know, don't be f- surprised, you know? So, um, that's what, what I don't like about the age. So, um, you know, retentive. I like, I like to get in there with a cricket but. <laughs> spinal tap reference for you, McBee. Yes. <laughs> one, one louder. One louder. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sending a text to find out who this guy was. Right, we'll find out before the end. Bit of a lost um, classic, really. I think for me, I need to to get back and re-listen to a bit more of that that record for sure. And talking about lost classics, uh, we also have a Velvet Underground track on this 1974 playlist, which we'll let Graham explain. Well, obviously, I think the Velvets had split up by this point, but there's released this uh, like live album that was recorded in 1969, and I think there was a bunch of parties and weird little things that happened 
protective. I think we were in Texas and and it really is it's definitely one of the best live albums you'll ever listen to. It's just amazing. I don't listen to vinyl anymore. I never really listened to it and it kind of cuts me up. I need to see if I can just probably, I've never done that uh, bought it on digital, so I'll probably need to just digital and buy it. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be available, but it's amazing. It's an amazing live record and it's a double album and it's got all the sort of classics, but what I like, and this is something that I really love. Like quite often they, they've reimagined because they probably got bored playing them, so they just played them. They stretched the songs out. The amazing personal vocals on on the album. Aye, eight, eight minutes or eleven minutes long version. Phenomenal. They're just banging the guitar, you know. Yeah. And like, uh, I always remember listening to that song, and I, I didn't pick that one. I would probably have picked that one. But it's like eight minutes long, like you say. Um, I just thought. Short. Uh, I remember like being in a flat with a bunch of mates, right about Hipster Time, just before I think. We put that on, and then there's a bit where, where it sort of takes off, and my mate just sort of stood up and rammed his head into a black kitchen cabinet, and we just exploded. <laughs> we just picked up utensils and started hanging the hell out of the kitchen. And it, we were, it was like we had a mini sort of what's the word? It was like a mini festival of explosion just listening to this one song. So that album, if you don't mind, that, okay. So that I, I, I never 69. knew. Sorry, sorry, Midi. This was from '69, but was released in '74. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So it's called Live in '69, right. but it wasn't released in '74. Like obviously, it's, it's like. Yeah, Bowie's going on about how great the film is. Um, yeah. Well, there's some money to be made here. <laughs> business for, in it. For, for years, I only knew the live version of what was on. When I heard the studio album version, yeah. kind of disappointed, to be honest. Yeah, well, I kind of, I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like them both, but yeah. I, I understand why you, you'd be disappointed because it, it's just that, yeah. There's a there's a Rolling Stones live version of Somebody for the Devil, which has got that, and a singing cowboy by Love as well, the live version. Anyway, sorry, I know I don't want to take up too much time here, but I, I sent a message to Dan McCann asking if he was that guy, but he thinks it was Jim Fisher who got you a gig in the Victoria Carriage. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. That sounds like the, that sounds like a yeah. But it was big Jim, or it was. It was it definitely good? Could have been Jim Fisher. He got them a gig in the carriage. So there you are. I don't That's know. When, I don't know Jim Fisher, but I will find out for the next so podcast. Was, um, <laughs> so podcast this up. This started off as a sort of reflection on some great music from bygone years, but it's turned into a bit of a musical long lost family type idea, well, isn't it? You know, with family trees and it's about the connections. Yeah, well, it is because all music fits together. To be honest. I kind of, I mean, we're obviously not doing this tonight, but when I realised that it was GR that used to manage you, I remember that Johnny McElhone was in your band, and then you straddled, you'd been through, your playlist doesn't mention much, nothing really, well, obviously it is 1974, but you've talked a lot about punk and whatever. This is a whole other podcast. 
And this is this <laughs> being this being the guinea pig experiment, I'm trying not to get waylaid. Yeah, yeah see, or waylay you. I could happily do one for every <laughs> year. year of the summer. Yeah. I, I think I think the interesting one would also have been the year that your band got a record deal, or the year, you know, because of the fact that that's a whole different thing. But for me, um, yeah, sorry, I was about to go off on a tangent. Back to the I could go I could go from certainly sixty seven uh, eighty six and do the same thing every night. Yeah. Well, we do have, I think we have one, two, we have three other years already confirmed, which are all within that time frame from, from some other guests. So it'll be interesting when you have a listen to that, because I'm sure you'll you'll agree with some of their, their songs and maybe maybe yeah. some others as well. Because um, it's such a it's such a rich sort of seam of music for that nine or ten years, isn't it? And then punk changes it all, and it's, it's rich for different reasons after that. So it's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, it was... So it's for me because it's age all the same. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the sort of underground, just to kind of just to move on, and we'll, we'll play the song now. I think the kind of classic lineup had moved on a bit by this time. Yeah, is, I think. Right. I think a lot of it was Doug Yo singing. You know, so he'd take Lou. Kale had but gone, I think, maybe by this point. Kale's definitely gone. Lou's still there, but, but Doug Yo's taking a lot more. Center stage, and obviously Nico's not involved really. A lot. I don't think she's involved in it. Are they one of these bands that 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 everyone looks at retrospectively, or do you think there was people at the time who thought these guys are amazing? Or well, Bowie did. Yeah, but they could yeah. they couldn't get. You're right. Yeah, they did. couldn't get arrested otherwise, though. Yeah. You know, to, yeah. to a certain extent, uh, Lurid was a. I don't. I, obviously, I'm not saying he was a field songwriter, but there was a perception that he was a field songwriter at the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he worked as a songwriter, you know, tried to an alley and all that. Yeah, you know, tried. Nothing wrong with Tin Pan Alley. Not Tin Pan Alley, but whatever it's called. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Yeah, sorry, nothing wrong with the Brill Building either. But that, sorry, when I said field songwriter, what I meant was the perception of Lou was that he didn't make the grade, and you know, and they went off and did their kind of Andy Warhol thing. Yeah. I, Thank God. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of like my favorite whole thing about them is that I adore and love I love everything that they did, but I've never really dug deep into their whole. Uh, you know, I've read about Andy Warhol and stuff like that, but I've never really read much about them as a group. I kind of like. Just put that whole the story, the thing, aside, and just listen to the music. Mm. Don't want to know too think, much about them in a way. Do you think the music is the story, Graham? I mean, I know like there was like things going on with Lou and Nico and John Cale and stuff like that, and but like you know, I never really. Dug too deep in. I just kind of want to listen to the music and not worry about the soap opera. There must have been a huge soap opera. Yeah. I know there's opera in that whole thing. You know how. Worst thing from here. Hello? Yeah, yeah, sorry, on you go. No, I, I went to see them when they when they reformed. Uh, I was like, disappointed. Not because they didn't play, 
Well, but because Lourdes can be out singing yeah. songs, probably. And where was that, Graham? I saw them in London and. London. Oh, they played up and stuff like that. I was, I was so annoyed, you know. I mean, the, the band played and all that was good, but he was like, it was like, I'm just here to collect some money, basically. It's very, very disparaging. Iggy Pop does a show on Six Music and he, he's finishing up now, but I, I quite listened to it quite a lot. And, you know, as a DJ, He's got very eclectic taste. Sometimes I don't particularly enjoy it, but he was talking about Nico the other night. And I know David Bowie produced Iggy and I know that it all fits together, but I'm not quite sure if Iggy had much interaction with the underground, but he said he dealt with Nico or Nico had an involvement. And he just, the only thing he said was, the rest of the Stooges weren't sure about her. You know, th th that was it. But I got on okay with her. So Aye. the suggestion was kind of that Nico was a bit kind of, Oh, a bit of an opportunist, I think, was what he was trying to say in the nicest possible way. Well, he may well have been, but like, I think she ended up being quite an artist, you know. Like, she did, yeah. yeah. And she's, old, she's uh, renowned in her own way now, isn't she, for, for what she's done? She lived in Manchester. She's got, she, she's got all the Glasgow connections as well. She ended up you know, with a guy from Glasgow and like, hanging out with a bunch of... spent quite a bit of time up here and stuff like that, so... I know that uh, that our boyfriend was ended up being the drummer in Primal Scream, or I think it was a drummer, but a guy called Toby, and she lived in Manchester for a few years as well. That's another thing I don't know. Right, I think I, I, she hung up. Well, I, I, I don't think I know she hung about with like the fall and whatever, but I don't know how long she was in Manchester for. Well, she definitely got a lot of connections to as well, but uh, I kind of like you know. That was all, all that, they, they've been an influence on everything I've done apart from hips. <laughs> I'll just listen. This has got nothing to do with the podcast, but I have to tell you this the Happy Mondays first album, uh, Tony Wilson obviously, Factory Records. You got John Keel to produce it, and uh, Bez apparently they turned up to make the album. And Bez said, So, who is John Keel? And somebody said, He's a presenter from a he's a keyboard player on Steel of the Century. So, <laughs> partly Bez kept saying, so what's it like working with Nicholas Parsons? <laughs> <laughs> and things like that. Oh, uh, bro. Uh, oh, uh, oh, <laughs> so, Graham, uh, we've got three songs left uh, that you have put forward for 1974. The first one is uh, On the Beach by Neil Young. So why Neil Young and why this track? So this album uh, it wasn't available on CD for a long time, and I'd never, I hadn't heard it. I, I guess bought it on spec because it'd just been released or something. And I was like, man, I, I just loved it, right? Um, the sound of it, the it's so uh, fluid and laid back and kind of. Druggy, and mm -hmm. uh, I was speaking to my pal Douglas, who was kind of came up to Glasgow, and I went, "Let's go and have a pint." One of this talking about music as you do, like as as we're doing, and we both started talking about this record, and we ended up 
We said, why don't we see if we write some songs in? And we used that and Coney Island Baby by Lou Reed, mm-hmm. Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. The, the Muse, the, the record that we ended up making, was a, a thing called Cowboy Mouth. Like, um, if you ever hear that album, it, it, it's kind of it's recorded in exactly the same way that that is, because I've read about it latterly. And, uh, you know, we try, that's what we were trying to get, get that kind of vibe. Um, and then I read about, I read his, uh, you know, Neil Young biography, and they're talking about that time and they kind of recorded it the same way we did, which was like live really quickly. And they had some mad guy who was like giving them drugs in a very unusual way. It was something called a honey slide or something, which I'll put that up. But uh, I just, I just love that. The, the, the lack of, Pretension about it. it's just so it's just it's just captures a moment you know and that sometimes we need more of that in music. Yeah. And he was quite prolific at the time. He was yeah, it seems not, like he was just yeah. talking records out all the time. And I, I personally, I know I went through a phase where I could have three or four albums in a year. Now <laughs> zero chance of that, but. <laughs> Well, through my thirties, I was like yeah. writing songs. I couldn't stop writing songs. Um, it's kind of annoying because that's probably the, the, the point in my life when I was at the least amount of me from the music business and the, the media. Uh, ain't that how it, how it goes? Yeah, sell a I think they call that. Yeah, they do. But it may, may come back again. I think if you see where Neil Young is now. You know, he's he's broadly now as prolific again as he, he's ever been in a variety uh, of guises and um, styles, and he's just about to release a Crazy Horse album next year again. So I think I think Neil Young, um, you know, you, you can't say Neil Young isn't you know, enough credit because you know, of course he has he's, he's given loads of credit and he and he deserves it all. But I think people kind of miss out on the fact that he actually went through and in lots of different areas and he tries different things and he's not I mean you always go back to Neil Young playing his guitar and like kind of it can be a bit folksy or whatever but Neil Young has done all kinds of genres and went, went in all kinds of areas and uh, you know, he, he's an experimental artist you know, and he's one of the true greats. And the thing that the song reminded me of, he's also a fantastic uh, lyricist. Yeah. So the first line of this song is, uh, the world is turning, I hope it don't turn away. Yeah. And uh, that's... A uh, musician, you know, just says it all. And that song, again, I, I did listen to On The Beach. I actually went back to it when, you know, the, he released Homegrown, you know, the post record that he, he did from 75, I think, which was seven or eight tracks that he never released at the time. So oh, yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. I came out a couple of years ago. Uh, no, it came out, out last year, it came out of lockdown, actually. And um, all from that era, just didn't release them. And I went back to listen to the, 
think they called it the Ditch Trilogy, didn't they? The three or four albums at that time. And uh, and again, it's just amazing what he was doing. Like, you could almost pass it by. You could almost do his early 70s stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's what I mean. I think it was about, I think it was, I, don't, I mean, I know it was like uh, well received and all that, uh, but the yeah. music press, but I never heard them talking about it before. No. And then, and I never knew any of this. I never knew any of the songs. You know, like everybody grows up with all, like, like, you know, mine for a heart of gold or whatever. But yeah, like, I know, I know. nobody knows it. The other wee thing uh, on that one wee sort of trivial thing is the you know the song for the turnstiles. Mm-hmm. That's a, I think that's supposed to. My pal he told me that's about Tony Mitchell. All right. And I think like it, it's kind of referring reference to like her, her, her you know, like big yellow taxi, yeah, yeah. racing robbery and stuff like that. Yeah. So he kind of saw her as being turning and commercial, right? You know? Yeah, <clears throat> that's a, that's interesting because I think one of the other albums on the record, Motion Picture, I think, is uh, his breakup song with his wife at the time. It's all um, so you can see, yes, it's all going on, really. It's all very it? personal, and yeah, but I could have construed this into that emotion's amazing on it. So, it's a very, there's so much emotion in the record, yeah, and you can hear it, and it's like left there. So, so a couple, couple of classics to finish, Graham Ricky Don't Lose That Number by Steely Dan. Why Steely? So, I really came of age, you know. And, 76, 78, 778, that kind of thing where I'm like, this is what I like, this is what I am, this is the tribe I belong to. Uh, Steely Dan very much were not part of that. (laughs) They were like, so far outside my tribe, you wouldn't believe. Somehow, five or six years later, I'm like, man's amazing. And my best pal, one of my best pals, and um, loving money, I'm what producer, you know, like, you know, playing Scrabble with him and shit, all that. So it's like, uh, it's really about, it's, Ricky Don't Lose That Number, it isn't my favourite Daily Dance song, but it's one of my favourites off that. I, mean, I love it, but it's one of my favourites off that album. It's, we're talking about 1974. It's not my favourite Steely Dan album. Talk about 19. But um, I just think they are an amazing band. I love the music. Um, they kind of they are they're very weird, and they do make very precise, very contrived records. But I still think there's a and a very kind of What's the word? Um, you know, collegiate, they're very intelligent about the lyrics and stuff like that. A lot of it's hard to understand if you don't know American culture. But somehow we've managed to get one of the Scotland's most successful bands named themselves after one of their songs. Yeah. Um, and I, I was fascinated to know like what that actually meant, you know, that song Deacon Blue meant, you know, that. Mm-hmm. Crimson Tide, that they call Alabama. I never knew that Alabama football team called football team called Crimson Tide. Oh, right. Okay. They're like, 
they're like the Rangers and Celtic of college football. Yeah. They always, you know, they're big winners, you know. So they call Alabama the Crimson Tide. Right. Call me Deacon Blue. So I picked Ricky Don't lose that number because it's on that album and it's in 74. Uh, um, and it's a great group. Yeah. So it's just a great, it's a really good pop, you know, at the end of the day. Okay. <clears throat> and it's things where I've gone back. I no conception of them at the time. So far above my head, though. Might as well have been on the moon. But uh, now they're a huge part of my life, one of my favourite bands. And there's nothing wrong with the song, is there? It's just... It's just great. It's, it's just every bit of it. It's just every, everything it needs to be, really. So I went to see them. My, my pal Dave took me... He, he, he uh, event management and he managed to get really amazing tickets to, to go and see them at the uh, that big thing, place called <laughs> what well, I always want to call it the spaceship the hydro hydro I just don't want to call it the hydro I want to call it the berry or the spaceship because not Glasgow the hydro should be given a stupid name Anyway, it's not a place I would want to go and see a band normally, but just setting Rocky, setting a stage. That's an Halloween uh, bucket list. Off, I saw them live. Ticked off. Yeah, yeah, I never saw them. And I agree with you about the Hydro. It should have a name. Every other gig has a name. I was at the Armadillo on Saturday to see Paul Heaton. You know, they've all got names, haven't they? So... You have something for the hydro. Shouldn't have a shit. That deserves a name. It does. We'll, we'll come up with one, right? What did souffle. you see there? The berry? The berry, the souffle, the, the spaceship. Spaceship berry. Flying saucer. Oh. Some weird looking thing in it. Yeah. What was those things, those sherbet things you used to eat that had the, that looked like the flying saucers and you'd share it inside them? Were they no flying saucers? The fly, the flying saucers. <laughs> That'll be my then, won't it? So, yeah, we'll come up with one. That's another thing we'll take off the the podcast. We'll come up with an answer for that one. Right, when you write that down. Just make that. <laughs> what would you call? What would you be alternative name for the hydro? I'm going to put it on. I'll put it on the chat once we get it all live. The last song we have is a song from a band that have been going since the mid sixties. And uh, again, in their own way, are, are very iconic, um, especially the, the stuff that they did in the 60s. But they then released something in 74, which uh, is absolutely amazing. The air that I breathe by the hobbies. Last song, Graham, why, why did you go with this for your last pick? So the, this, is a, this is one of the songs that when I was a kid, when it came out, mm. I was aware of and I liked it. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I um, didn't really know but the Hollies, previous stuff or anything like that. I couldn't tell you what, what it came from or in. It just, it's just a, I just, it's just a lovely song. And then, you know, what is it? 74, leap forward, I don't know, 15, 16, 20 years, whatever. And, Radiohead basically ripped off to magnificent effect. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, no. Uh, it's, uh, 
it's totally valid, brilliant. Um, so, and I, I love that. This is now that I realise I'm the first person to to be doing the, the thing. Uh, I'll, I'm kind of, I'm sort of realising that it's all about what what this should all be about. Meds, you know, meds, you know, like how music, uh, what you said, you know, in the pub. Don't go down to the pub, talk about X, Y, and Z. You, you start off talking about X and you go to A and you go, then you go to C and then you go to like, you know, Gamma, Phi, Delta, you know, and then yeah. you go into numbers and then you go back to the alphabet. You just don't go in a straight line. You go backwards and forwards. And so uh, one of the reasons, you know, that thread from the 70s to, I think it's a name, uh, Radiohead, more or less rewritten that song. Uh, did they have to, I think they ended up giving a quote. They, they had to give them money for it, yeah. but it was worth it. And it's it still an amazing record. And it, uh, but just, and I love that, the, the, the whole the record itself, you know, all I need to say is that I breathe well. What more do you need to say about your commitment to another human being? I don't need anything but you and the other I breathe. It's a genius piece of song. And a great vocal. Yeah. And that, of course, years later, I died. Obviously, at that time, I didn't Graham Nash. Neil Young, Crosby, Dashing Young, Crosby, Johnny Mitchell. <laughs> it's like we're talking again. It's all the interlink, you know. Yeah. You know, everything's all linked together. And there's is there maybe two 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 bits or maybe three bits to your 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 songs? I think there's maybe three areas. You've got your your classic pop singles of of the time, and and they are they would stand against any classic pop singles from any year. I think. You've got your um, cool, vibey British stuff that's going on through uh, Bowie and uh, Roxy Music and then the, the underground live stuff. And then, as you mentioned earlier on, you've got all that Laurel Canyon stuff rolling back through again. Yeah. And that goes through all sorts of iterations. In 74, there was like another perfect storm again of all these other touch points from each of the artists all coming together. And you've got three or four of them. In your in your selections there, which is um, fantastic. Like I say, there's no contrivance in it. It's just now I'm I'm, I'm only starting to think about the, the you know, do you know what I mean? We could get you to do another year, Graham. <laughs> might might just might let you think about that one because we're we're hoping to to try and get through quite a few years and looks like we've got about seven or eight already. But um, but as we've noticed tonight, is as soon as you start sort of scratching it a year, you, you it's Pandora's box, isn't it? You end up, yeah. you end up talking about lots of stuff, which is the the whole fun of doing a podcast, I think. So we'll we'll finish um, with uh, the air that I breathe by the Hollies, um, just before we we play that and uh, and sign off, Graham. Um, first of all, thanks again for for taking all the time to a think about the, the the year and your songs, and as I say, there are some absolutely amazing tunes in there that. I'll certainly go back and re-listen to it again because I've not heard some of them for a bit. 
Um, but also just about you sort of getting a bit of time with you because, um, um, you know, we don't see that much of you. Just to finish off, uh, where can we find you on social digital media? Are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at Gramskin. At Gramskin. And do you have a website? Uh, Hipswayofficial.com Perfect. Graham, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I mean, Dee's uh, just had to go there. I think it's his bedtime. Um, it's obviously over, overran thank you I hope it's overran for the right reasons um, really enjoyed it thanks for being, being the first um, guest uh, thanks for 74 fantastic year I don't don't underplay the songs that you picked there they're absolutely amazing and, uh, and and thanks again for your time and I'll catch up with you soon thanks a lot Brian enjoyed it care, mate. all the best bye bye now